Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. He's so good, church. He's so good, church. Let's just give him a hand clap of praise, church. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus. You're good. You're good. You do good. You are good. And you're working for our good. Lord Jesus, we praise your name. We praise your name. There's none like you, Jesus. (laughs) No other name. Give it to men. No other name. At the name of Jesus, strongholds fall. The name of Jesus, sickness is healed. At the name of Jesus, the dead is raised. At the name of Jesus, demons flee. Do you believe that, church? There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the person of Jesus. Jesus, we just thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Above you, there is no other. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Lord, I pray right now. I pray right now that you will work in us. Holy Spirit, I ask that not one person walks out of this place the same as we walked in. Lord, I pray that you will melt us, form us, and conform us to the image of Jesus. We don't need more of us. We need more of you. So have your way. Lord, I pray right now that you will anoint my words. Lord, help me to rightly divide your word. Your word is anointed. Mine are faulted. Help me to say exactly what you would have me to say, no more, no less. Lord Jesus, I pray. I thank you so much. I praise you, Lord. Have your way. Have your way today. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Man, he's a good God. He's a good God. I... I'm anxious to see, I feel like for the last couple years, honestly, about the last four years, really, I've been feeling like I've been, like Christmas is around the corner, but I don't know when it is. Like, you know, that anticipation, you know, like, like, you know, like that, that giddy anticipation when you know that something is about to happen and I, I, I'm, I'm feeling it, the longer I'm getting here, I'm feeling it more and more confidently that God is moving, that he is doing something, and then we start seeing bursts of, and, and, and testimonies of different churches experiencing a move of God, and man, I'm telling you, there's an awakening coming to our nation, and you know, like, it looks so demonic when you look at the news, it looks so, it looks so lost when you look at when you look at our uh, political climate, but that is the perfect prime moment 
for a move of God. The last great awakening we had was the Jesus Revolution when the hippies started getting saved. Some of you guys remember those days? Not saying who, Phil. I'm just, <laughs> no, but, but that movement swept. Like people said the hippies can't get saved, but then they start getting saved. Well, man, like what's a modern day hippie? You know, people who are so turned off and lost that they don't want anything to do with God, but those are the, those are the candidates that God grows in. Those are the people that, that God moves in. The, the, the parable of the sower is to sow seed. You know, like he would be a really horrible farmer, and the reason why is because he's planting seed on the path, he's planting seed on good soil, he's planting seed on rocky soil, and he's planting seed on weed soil. A good farmer only plants seed on good soil, right? But the reality is, I don't think he could tell the difference. When you, when you till soil, it all looks the same. And what I'm getting at is, we the church, we want to see a move, we want to see an awakening, let's start planting seed. That's our job. We can't tell whether it's good soil or bad soil, so let's just throw the seed of the gospel on them. Let's just throw the seed of the gospel on them and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Oh, man, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But, man, I am excited for that. Sorry, I don't have a joke for you today, but I do have a funny story um, from this morning. Uh, it, uh, my, my, my daughter, I always have to remember that my daughter is half me and half my wife. And sometimes she is, the half me comes out in her, the stubbornness the persickiness, and because my wife is practically perfect and for all intensive purposes, and I value my life. So, um, no, but she was getting a little persickity, and she uh, was arguing with Amy this morning, and um, I stepped halfway into the conversation, and I thought, this is not going to happen. I said, you, she's like, you guys are being mean to me. I'm like, no, it's called being a parent. And I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to love you and to make you not be an idiot when you are an adult. And so I want, I want you to love Jesus, but I got to love you, so I have to discipline you. And, and I said, you're lucky. I said, your Nana and Papa, which is my mom and dad, would have turned my head around if, I, if they would have stepped into this conversation. And she goes, well, those were the old days when you were a kid. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> got hit with reality. My daughter thinks I'm old. <laughs> I was like, wow. And then I said, you know, and Papa never used a paddle on me. He used a good old-fashioned, like, three-inch wide leather belt that was sewn together, and it had his name in it. So when I got spanked as a child, my dad branded me. It said Terry backwards across my butt for like three hours afterwards. I said, and she goes, well, you guys don't use paddles. I said, or um, belts. And you don't even have a leather belt, Dad. I was like, you're right. I said, I think Papa has an extra one that he could send me. And she goes, oh, don't call him. I don't think I would enjoy a leather belt. <laughs> I'm like, no, you wouldn't. Uh, so the, the, the blessings of, the blessings of parenting, uh, is, 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 children are such a blessing. It just made me 
It made me laugh. It's like, you know when you're trying to be serious with a child and then they keep saying things and you're like, no, no, listen to me. Stop laughing. This is a serious moment. Today, we're wrapping up the book of Ephesians and I'm going to do something a little different um, today. I, I normally read the whole section of scripture at once and then we break it down. What I'm going to do today is we're going to read sections, four, five, six verses at a time, and then we're going to break those down because this section of Scripture is kind of the, the, this last chapter can be divided into four quadrants, God's intentions for us toward people, God's intentions toward us for us, then there's a recap of the whole book, and then God's mission for us. And so I want to take and break these down and then look at the, each of these sections. So the first section we're going to be looking at is in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And I broke each section down into one-hour segments. So we should be out of here by 3 o'clock. And no, I'm just joking. Hour and a half sections. So... But let's just jump right into it. Um, I, I, I actually love how, how this looks because the Holy Spirit didn't make a mistake when he took and had the author pen this last section. When he, this whole book establishes the superiority and the authority of Jesus over everything. The, the mission and the message of Hebrews is Jesus is greater than everything. And, and he's greater than the sacrificial system. He's greater than the law. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the priest. He's, he's the greatest high priest. He's, he's the, the, the author and finisher of our faith. He, he is negotiating a new, a new covenant with God constantly for us. He's constantly offering our sacrifices of praise before the Lord. He is the, he is the superior to everything else in life. And when we try to go back to anything else, it's less. And the author of Hebrews hits on this because he's writing to a very religious, legalistic church that if you re go back and read the book of Acts, um, Paul is reporting all the good things, and I think it's Acts 21, about how God is moving amongst the Gentiles and everything like that. And then, and, and, and he's reporting this to James and the apostles in Jerusalem. And he said, many Jews here in Jerusalem have also received salvation through faith, but they also follow the law very strictly. Well, you can't do both. You're either saved by grace through faith, or you try to get saved through your actions, which you can't. And so the whole book of Hebrews is kind of de debunking our actions lead to salvation. And, and then he's saying, no, there's a new covenant through Christ, and all you have to do is put your faith in him. And so we jump into this first section, and with, with all that in mind, leading up to this moment, he wants to leave us with this little bit of hate. With that in view... This is how you need to react toward people. This is, this is what God has for you towards others. So my first thought today is this. God's intentions for us toward people. So let's just look at it together. 
Keep loving, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. So, you know, you ever wonder why in church, you know, you, you almost hear it like, hey, brother, so-and-so. Or, well, here's why. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. He's our older brother. We're all, we're all children of God in Christ. And so Jesus said, people will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Not love the world, how you love one another. That's different. Jesus was talking to his disciples about Christians. Are we to love people in this world? 100%. But Jesus said, your defining factor in my, being my disciple is how you love one another. Then he, we jump into verse 2. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some of you have done this, um, for, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Who? We'll go back real quick. Go, go. I, I just want us to look at this and feel the gravitas here. This is beyond saying, I'm praying for you. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Let's keep going. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. I... I said this last week, and I'll say it again this week. I love it when messages kind of write themselves. Because the reality is, all I'm going to do is try to explain some stuff. But you guys will probably just get as much as if you just went and read the book, read the chapter. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't sputter. He doesn't stutter. He doesn't make a mistake. He's straightforward. So I'm going to try to bring out some application for us today. But the word of God is so powerful and potent. If we just applied this, it would change our nation. It would change our family. When you take a long, hard look at Jesus, like the book of Hebrews forces you to do. If you go through and read Hebrews, and we, this is week 19 in the 13 chapter book. And if you take a long, hard look at Jesus like Hebrews forces you to do, your only application is to love people. In response to Jesus and how he loves you, the only application towards other people is love. There's not another application that comes out of a relationship with Jesus when we interact with other people. It's love. When you understand how much he loves you, you love other people. The illogical, the logical response is love. The illogical response is the hardening of your heart. Because you can encounter the love of God and your heart get harder, hard, very hard. Where most people, when they encounter the love of God, they melt. But some people, when they encounter the love of God, they retreat 
into their own opinions, into their own selfishness, into them, themselves, and they harden themselves to religion, to relationship. They harden themselves to anything and all things. And why? I think there's an old saying that says the same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. And so the logical response when you look at how much God loves us is to love God and love people. That's what he asks of us. That's what he leads with. Lo keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. It's like This is the basis for the, everything that follows. The, the Bible says faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I mean, like it's, it's the foundation for everything. For God so loved the world. Why is this, why is love such a theme in the Bible? Why is this the, the foundation for how we do things? Well, because the only definition to love is God. It's, it's not God likes to love people. It's not God shows love to people. He does. But the definition, true love is God. And 1 John says God is love. That's who he is. You can't, that's not just something he does. It flows out of his being. Love is him and he is love. We can hear this and see this and we can look at it through the lens of how the world tries to define love because that's what's shoved in our throat day in and day out, the summer of love, the you know, love and peace and all this stuff. But the world's love, if any reflection of God's love, it's such a small reflection. It's, it's conditional. God's love is unconditional. It's what we would refer to as agape. So when, when he tells us to love one another, we love each other with God's love, which is unconditional. That means Guess what? You don't put conditions on why you love someone. They can hate your guts. They can wish, they can spit on your mom's grave and kick your dog. And guess what? We love them unconditionally because God loves them unconditionally. But the world's love is conditional. Well, you agree with me, then I'll love you. You do this for me, then I'll love you. And, and, and it's completely not logical. And then, and then how the world treats Christians is this. They say, well, because you have to love me with unconditional love, you have to approve of everything we're doing. That's kind of what they think. Is it not? Am I, am, am I completely losing my mind? No. They think, oh, oh, you have to love me unconditionally, so you can't say anything about what I'm doing. But that's not love either. Because love, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus was full. He was love, but he also told truth. When you love people, you tell them the truth in love. Hebrews says we speak truth in love. So if, if I see my neighbor's house on fire and he's unaware of it, should I just be like, oh, man, I just love him. I hope he gets out okay. No. You run and you try to get his attention because love compels you to do things. God's love is not for us not to do things. God's love is there to compel us. It's a compelling love. God's love is so powerful that it compelled him to step into humanity. 
for 33 years, 30 years of preparation, for three years of ministry, for three hours of purpose on a cross, for three days later to be raised back to life to set us free from the power of hell, death, and the grave. God's love is compelling. And if you're not compelled to share the gospel, you need to go look at Jesus long and hard because when you look at his love for you, you will be compelled. There's only one response to his love. It's compelling. It's not love not to say things. This morning, I mean, just joking with my, you know, my daughter, I love her. So I have to say things. I have to correct her. Because if I don't, she will grow up entitled. And a millennial. I shouldn't say that. I think I am one. But seriously. When we love people, we can't. We got to listen to the Holy Spirit and discern when to speak, but we still have to speak because people are still going to a very real hell apart from Jesus. And God's love compels us. We have the only message that can change their eternity. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know the only person that can change their eternity and give them a new identity is Jesus Christ. We have got to share. And that, that's, that's what he's saying. Keep on loving one another. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. The next instructions flow out of this love. The next instructions flow out of this love. Showing hospitality to strangers. Remember those in prison and those being mistreated. You can't do this if you don't have God's love in you. You can't. And you might say, well, Ryan, there are organizations that show compassion that aren't Christian. I would say you're right. I agree. They're great ones, actually. But I would definitely point out that the only reason anyone can remotely show anything that looks like love or compassion in this world to other people is because we are made in the image of God. And what is God? Love. And the only reason there might be organizations that have compassion or show love or people that are far from Jesus or even other religions that have some remotely something that looks like love is because we're made in the image of God. It's distorted, though. Because you can't show genuine, true love apart from Jesus Christ. You can't. He is the epitome. He is the embodiment of the, the love of God. He's the image of the invisible God. God is love, so love should flow out of us Though it's distorted and only a poor reflection until we are in Christ and through Christ, our understanding of his love will come into focus. Then the next thing is, he says, show hospitality to strangers. Show hospitality to strangers. For some of you have entertained angels and not realized it. That is some crazy stuff, right? Like, really? Are you sure about that? I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, the Bible talks about angels, and, you know, they're messengers of God. And 
Um, I don't really have a lot of experience. I'm not saying, oh, I've seen angels fly around this room. I'm, I'm not, I am crazy, but I'm not like, I'm not, I'm like, I've not seen that. But I remember one time I was about to leave and this guy walked up to me and he's like, hey, do you have a second? And he's like, are you the pastor here? I'm like, yeah. And he, he looked like he'd been doing sheetrock all day. You know that du- white dusting that you get from sheetrock? And he had like the, the, the knee pads on and, and everything. And um, he had like a, ni- a 1980s rock t-shirt on. And he's like, yeah, I just got a question for you. So we sat in my office and he looked like he'd just done a whole day of construction. And, and um, he's like, hey, uh, I just want to give my van to the church. I don't need it anymore. He's like, I'll just give it to you today. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, my first thought was, like, most of the time when people come to the church, they, they usually want something, which I'm like, we, we, we help people all the time with groceries and stuff like that. We want to help. Um, but uh, that was the first time I've ever had someone like, yeah, I just want to give the church my van. And I'm like, did you kill someone in it? I, I didn't say that, but I'm like, why are you trying to get rid of it? <laughs> and so I'm like, he's like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's not a brand new van, but it runs dependably. It's a Nissan. It'll last forever. I'm like, well, I said, like, it's not that simple. I said, to acquire property, I have to bring it before the board and bring it before the church. We had to take a vote. I said, I can't just acquire your property today. He's like, okay, okay. And then he starts talking to me and he starts saying some, some crazy things. He's like, he's like, yeah, man, God's been so good to me. He's been with me through years, and I've been here doing this, doing this. God's always used me. And I'm like, all right, you know. And then he said, yeah, I've even been to heaven. I'm like, okay. This guy is crazy. And then something happened I wasn't expecting. The the Holy Spirit checked me. Just like when I've dealt with demoniacs, I knew something was up and different, but this time it was in a good way. He's like, this is what went through my head when, when I thought, okay, this guy's crazy. Okay, just smile and nod. And he said, who are you to judge this man's testimony? I thought, I wasn't expecting that. So I just listened, and then he got up and we were standing in front of my desk, and he goes, you have a beautiful family. And then he prophesied over me, and he told me something. And then he prophesied over this church. He said, this church will be filled to capacity multiple times over, and there will be such a powerful move of the Spirit in here that people will be healed and changed before the delivery. Of the, I mean, he just, and he did that two or three times. We walked outside, and he did it again. He said, I'm telling you, there's going to be such a heavy cloud on, of God's power on this place. And I'm like, well, that's what I've been praying for. And then he literally said something so specific to me that Amy and I had prayed for for years. That I thought, there's no way he would know this apart from God. No one else knows it except Amy and I. And he spoke directly to that. And at that moment, I thought, is this guy an angel? <laughs> I really thought that. And I, I kick myself every time I shared the story because I wish I would have asked him. He probably would have denied it. Stinking angels. But 
we, we walked out and we were at this door right under the awning and he parked way back here, which is probably about 50, 75 yards, parked behind the church right there. And I said, oh snap, I forgot to lock my office door. So that door to my office is like 10 feet. I walked to my office, locked the door, walked back and his vehicle, he was gone, his vehicle was gone. And I'm thinking, he cleared this distance 50 to 75 yards, got in his vehicle and got 300 yards out of our parking lot by the time I cleared 10 feet. Like, I'm getting older, but I'm not that old. You know, like, I'm like, I walked out. I didn't hear his vehicle run or anything. And I thought, I, I, I just encountered, he was just trying to give us, like, seriously, he was trying to give us a vehicle. Like, I just encountered an angel and, like, I had no idea. Until he started speaking what I've been praying. It was just confirmation. But the, the, the reality is God's words manifest at the right time. If anything, it reminds me. And, I, and in times when I get discouraged in pastor and I go back, I said, Lord, you said this. You said this to me before I became a pastor here. And now you confirmed it in multiple people. And, and I stand on it. Say, God, I, want, I just want to be a part of what you're doing. I want this place to be a spark for this region, for a move of God in all the churches that proclaim the gospel. I want you guys to be so anointed that when you talk to your waitresses and waiters, they get saved. Then he says, remember those in prison. Remember those in prison. It, it is interesting. We have whole ministries and prison ministries, and I love prison ministry. I've, I've, been, I've participated in prison ministry when I was interning in college, and, and it is a very sobering thing when you go into prison, you start preaching the gospel, and you look out and you see people you went to high school with. That's sobering. And I'm all for prison ministry. But what's interesting is sometimes we see this and we think like people that are just far from Jesus. But in the first century, who was in prison? Who was being hunted down? Who, was, who were the illegals? It was Christians. When he says, remember those in prison, he's saying, remember Christians who are being arrested, who are being beaten, who are being fed to lions for the entertainment of the world, who, who are being dipped in oil and lit on fire to, to light up gardens in Rome. I mean, this is the reality of being a Christian in the first century. So when he says, remember those in prison, he's saying, remember Christians who are going through hardship. Then he says, remember those who are being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. This is beyond I'm praying for you. This is the epitome of Christ's love for us. And we have been instructed to have this love for others. When this is when someone comes to you, you our, our job, what he's really saying is put yourself in their shoes and allow yourself to feel their pain so they know that you are with them. That's hard to do. But once again, God's grace is divine and empowerment. Listen, when we put ourselves in their shoes and feel their pain, 
We are actually clothing ourselves in Jesus and letting them see him on us, not just in us. When we put ourselves in their shoes and feel their pain, as if we were experiencing it, we are actually clothing ourselves in Jesus and letting them see Jesus on us and not just in us. Those are the moments that lead to revival. Those are the moments that lead to a move of God. Those are the moments that lead to people getting saved. When you step in with them. Then the next thing the author emphasizes is this. To honor marriage. And remain faithful to one another. This is so random. I think it's kind of weird that the Holy Spirit put this right there in the midst of anything. But until you understand how much God loves marriage. God loves marriage. He loves it so much that when he was talking to the church in the New Testament through the apostles' letters, he described his relationship to the church as him being the groom and the church being the bride. That's how much he loves marriage. He even tells us in Ephesians, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ the church. Marriage is a big deal to God. It's not a contract. It's a covenant before God. He created it and he established it. He alone can sustain marriage. When marriage is built on anything other than Christ, it will fail. He alone sustains marriage. And he alone defines marriage. To give honor to marriage, we must honor marriage how God defines it. So how does God define marriage? What I'm about to say is because I love you guys. And I care for you guys. But right now, we have a whole culture trying to tell us how to define things. But as followers of Jesus, we have always got to go to the word of God. And he gets to define it. Throughout the Bible, every time he references marriage, it's always between a husband and a wife. It's always between a bride and a groom. That's how he defines marriage. And listen, we love every person, period. We love them, and I just told you, because we love people, we tell them the truth, right? This is the truth. And this might, I know this is controversial, but culture, we cannot allow culture to define what God's already defined. We can't. Culture will constantly change how they define things. You know, 50 years ago, lobotomy was a treatment for mental health. Culture and government thought it was a good idea. 150 years ago, culture and government said slavery was okay. It wasn't. Because culture is fickle. In 1940s and 30s, Germany 
culture and government said, well, Jews need to be killed. Culture's fickle. It's wrong. When we let them define things that God said were wrong, we get into a world of hurt because culture and government have no standard for what's right and wrong. But we have a standard. We have an absolute moral code. It's found in the word of God and God gets to define it. Listen, 2,000 years ago, being a Christian was illegal. You, were being, you would get hunted. You would get imprisoned. You would get beaten. You had to hide. You would get um, fed to lions. You would get slaughtered by gladiators. You would get hung and dipped in oil and burned at the stake. You would be boiled alive. You were crucified. Because culture and government said that was okay. Whenever we let culture define what's right and wrong, whenever we let culture define anything, guess what? You know, in 10 years, at what point do you jump off? Because what if in two years they say, you know what? We just need to kill all the redheads. Well, you have no, you, you, don't, you don't have authority to say, hey, this is wrong. You don't. But we have a moral authority because we stand on the word of God. And listen, governments will pass away. Cultures will change, but the word of the Lord will remain forever. It does not change. And we're about to read this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I, I say this because we love people. We love people. God loves marriage so much, that's the representation he chose to describe us. Why were the Christians 2,000 years ago thrown into prison? There wasn't a re good reason. Well, let's think about it. We preached hope and salvation through Jesus alone and that God loves us. That's pretty threatening. Why are Christians today still thrown into prison? We preach hope and salvation through Jesus alone and that God loves us. But we can't stop because he is the hope of the world and this is, this is something God's passionate about. This is actually, if, if you disagree with me, you have every right to disagree with me. I'm not, but the reality is this is how God defines it. And when you disagree with God, who's wrong? Repentance is really coming into agreement with God. You want to walk in repentance, you got to start saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong, despite what everyone's telling you, despite, oh, this is okay. Mark my words, in a few years, they're going to try to legalize pedophilia. I, I'm just telling you, because we let culture define things too long. And I, I know, like, we got to, the Bible says, submit to government officials and all these things, but there's this, there is a mandate to tell truth in love. We can't get up and just say, no, you're wrong and beat people over the head with the gospel. No, that's not how Jesus did it. That's not how we're supposed to do it. But we still got to share the gospel and let the Holy Spirit change people's hearts. And when he changes them, they'll come into agreement with him. If we try to change them, then we got to sustain them. Our job is to plant the seeds of the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do the work. The next thing is God's intentions for us, toward us. Verse 5, 
Don't love money. Be satisfied with everything you have, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives. Follow the example in their lives, uh, their example of faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, that divine empowerment, not from rules about food which don't help those who follow them. The next five verses are God's intentions for us, toward us. He leads with don't love money. This is pointed and powerful. Is he talking about money? Yes. He is. He's also talking about idolatry. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Why? Because you start depending on money as your source and not on God. You make yourself an idol called money. What did Jesus say about the matter? Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other. No man can serve both God and mammon or money. You can't do both. When you understand, what does he follow that with? I will never fail you. What? You don't need money because God is your source. He leads his section with about God's intentions towards us for us. Don't love money because it will become an idol. That's like number one in God's top ten. Don't commit idolatry. Worship no other person. And when we worship other people, we start putting our faith in other things. We start putting our faith in money like it's going to sustain us. It's going to help us. It's going to get us through. Guess what? It won't. If the last two, thing, two years has taught us anything is money is fickle. It's here for a moment and gone. You might be doing pretty good in 2020 or 2019 and then suddenly we're in a recession and eggs are however much and gas is however much and money's there. But when you put your faith in God and he is who he says he is, Jehovah Jireh, I'll provide for you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am your help. When you start putting your faith in God, you find that everything that he says is true. Everything. Holy Spirit follows this statement about money and idolatry with this. I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. Money and idols can't say either of those. Only God he alone is worthy of our faith. He alone is worthy of putting our faith in. God's intentions for us and toward us is not to fail us or abandon us. It's to be with us. But wait, it gets better. It gets better. Because God will never fail or leave, we can say with confidence, God is my helper. Oh, come on. If that doesn't get you excited about walking in life and faith, your wood's wet. 
God is my helper. God wants to help us. This is his intention for us, toward us. Because God is my helper, because God is helping me, we can say confidently, I will have no fear. There are people here today, and maybe watching online, you have been held captive by fear. I'm here to tell you, God can set you free from that fear. Simply put faith in him and not whatever you're trusting above him. Because that really was what idolatry is. It's just trusting something above God. God's saying, no, I want your faith in me. And I'm going to, last week we looked at a little snippet of the enemy's playbook, but I'm going to tell you this is how the enemy keeps you in perpetual fear. The enemy of our souls will make it seem like you have to keep trusting in whatever it is that, you're, that, that is causing fear. He will even almost insulate it. He, he puts like a support system around whatever is keeping you in, in that perpetual fear. He'll, it might be a person. It might be someone, a voice that, that's sowing into your life. It might be a news. But you'll, you'll almost get to the point where you're like, I, I have to do this because if I don't do this, I can't function. And he makes you think that you have to do whatever that is be, it, to, to function. And then when you do it, you might get momentary ease of that fear. And, and that's really how the enemy works, though. He leads us to destruction by give, giving us a little burst of life. But God leads us to life by making us die to ourselves. And so the enemy likes to insulate the things that, that and he, he, he puts a support system so we think we need it. But I'm here to tell you, you don't need it because it, it's, a mask, it's masquerading in cycles in your life and it will destroy you. It will, it will make you have, um, oh gosh, fear can make you have asthma attacks. Fear can make you have anxiety attacks. Fear can keep you from making decisions that, are, that, that, that you need to make in life because you're trusting in something else other than Jesus. You keep trusting in something or someone else to ease your fear, and it seems to work for a moment, but it comes back every single time. But I want to tell you this. Jesus doesn't take your fear away. He gives you authority over it. You don't have to listen to your fear. It has to listen to the faith God has placed in you. Because to say, I have no fear, that would be a lie. Because every time you're about to take a step of faith, guess what you feel? Fear. Let fear be proof that you have faith. Jesus doesn't take it away. He says, no, fear has to submit to you. He gives you authority over it. So we can say with confidence, I have no fear. Because though fear will come at me, I can step over it in faith. I can say, I rebuke you, fear. I release power, love, and a sound mind. Why? This is another reason why we need to be in the word of God. 
We need to know scripture. We can go back to the truth of God's word because the word of God says perfect love drives out all fear. When you understand how perfectly God loves you, you don't have to operate in fear. Then he tells us to remember our leaders who taught us the word of God. And I'm not telling you to think of me. I'm telling you to think of all your leaders that you've had over the course of your life that have taught you the word of God. I might be in there. I might not. And I'm okay with that. But I have, I have so many examples in my life. My first youth pastor, he listened and spoke truth, but he really cared for people. And I got to see that. I got to see him model him really caring for people. And so when I, when, when I finally accepted the call of God in my life, I started thinking, I, I want to be like him because he loves people. Like he took time for me. He, put, he would put down everything else just to give me time and attention. My internship pastor, man, he spoke directly and preached the word straight. And I remember thinking he spoke so straight and so directly that, that people were compelled by the word of God. And I thought, I want to be like that. I, I, want, I want to be able to speak truth in love like he does. And my, my, my previous pastor that I served with for six years, he taught me the drive in ministry. He taught me there's a push in ministry. He also taught me, that he, he ingrained in me my calling. There are things that every one of your pastors that, that have taught you ingrained. And, and he's saying, remember those things because they're, they were there for a season. He reminds us of a great truth about Jesus. This truth is why we can take God's intentions towards us to the bank. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love this. He tells us don't be distracted to, to strange new ideas. That means that we can stand on God's truth that is not going to waver. That's why what's happening with wokeism and woke churches and all this stuff today in the church. We, we can look at it with a discerning heart. This is another reason we need to be people of the word of God, people of the spirit of God, because we need to have discernment to see things. And it's a lot easier to discern what is of God when we spend time with God in his word. Can the Holy Spirit give you warning flags if you're not a person that studies the word? 100%. But it's a lot easier for him to do that when you have a wealth of knowledge from God's word in you. And so when Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you know what? He's not going to change his mind about things. We can say with confidence, no, this is how God says. This is what God does because his word says it. He doesn't need an editor. He had the Holy Spirit. And you're not going to be the editor. People throughout the centuries have tried to edit God's word. And it failed because God's word lasts forever. So he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we, when we know this truth... We, we can know the fact that we can stand on God's word and we won't be tossed and turned with new waves of doctrine. Oh, we discovered, I heard a pastor recently say, we discovered the word, um, I think it was a word for homosexual in the New Testament, was mistranslated. And I thought, I don't think so. It's been translated the same for centuries. 
And suddenly we mistranslate it. No, we're changing definitions. That's different than mistranslation. I bring that up because it's, 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 it's the most relevant thing that's happening in our culture. The reality is we love people because we love God. Period. Every person we love and we share the gospel and we plant seeds of the gospel. That's the reality of our existence because we want to glorify the name of Jesus. Jesus died for all people everywhere. Then God reminds us of Jesus' work. The next thought I want to hit you with is God reminds us of Jesus' work. I love that there's a little recap here of the whole book of the Bible. In verse 10, it says, We have an altar from which the high priest and the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the food, uh, the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. As the bodies of the animals were turned outside of the camp, so also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. This little recap is of the whole book. He's reminding us of what Jesus did and then he leads into this beautiful thing. The only re- when you when you look at this, and you re- you see what Jesus did, what the sacrifice he made, he says, "Now let us offer a sacrifice of praise." There's no coincidence here. Let's look at what Jesus did, and now let's offer a sacrifice of praise. You know, a sacrifice costs you. But when you look at what Jesus did, no matter how much this cost, it's not this much. I can tell you with confidence that when you start offering a sacrifice of praise when you don't feel like it, maybe you're sick, Maybe you're grieving. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're worn down. Whatever it is. Maybe you're, you're in need and you start just worshiping God regardless. Whatever that is causing mourning in your heart will turn to praise and joy. It's just a matter of time. But sometimes we don't feel like praising God. But that's still the right time to praise God. Well, God, I don't have anything to give you. Praise him anyways, because praise isn't about you. It's about him. If you don't feel like it, is he still worthy? Yes, that's that's the correct answer. So if you don't feel like worshiping, if you don't feel like praising, you don't feel like reading the Bible, you're like, oh, is he still worthy? Yes, 
Because worship and praise is always about him, not about me. I, I, it took me months, I mean, maybe even a year, before I felt joy in worship here. I would come down here after my mom died, and I would stand right there, and I would lift my hands the same way, and I would still sing, but I didn't feel joy. It was, it was like a year and a it, it, it was a long time. I felt pain when I worshiped. I could hardly make it through a song without breaking down. I, I tried to hold it together because I'm like, I got to go preach after this. I got I to gotta get up and preach. And so I tried to hold it together. But now I could hardly make it through a song, not for, for grief, but for joy. When I start proclaiming the goodness of God in the land of the living, when I start, man, this is a house of miracles. God has healed me. God has moved. Like I start, man, I can't help but praise Jesus because he's good, because he's worthy. And I remember, I remember like Jesus truly turns mourning to dancing. And in that Sunday morning, my mom passed away on a Saturday night. And I, I remember, and you guys remember, a lot of you guys were there with me and just prayed for me in that season, hugged my neck. And I'm just so grateful. I'm so humbled by you guys. And I, I bring it up because it's relevant. It's not because I want to talk about it. But I remember, I remember uh, saying, Ames, I got to preach. <laughs> My mom just passed away. She's like, I, I, it's about, I, the Lord's called me to preach, and it's like 11.30 at night. I'm not going to take and put this on Pastor Ben, preach the next morning. And I said, my message is done. I'm just, I'm like, preaching is, is not something I do. It's part of who I am because I'm called. Even this morning, I said, Lord, my message doesn't even have a title this morning. I couldn't think of one. He's like, did I call you to title messages, or did I call you to preach the word? I was like, well, when you put it that way, God. Um, and I, and I, I remember that morning, the first song, I just sat here, like I didn't really talk to anyone. The lights, we blew a fuse out here. Half the lights were off. The, the, the sound system and the projector worked, but the air conditioning didn't in August. It's one of those mornings, right? And I got up and I said, I'm going to worship God. I didn't want to. And this is, this is a song that Pastor Ben led with. And to this day, it's probably one of my favorite worship songs. It's called Yes, I Will, and I'm going to read it to you. Because a sacrifice of praise cost you. And this is what it said that morning after my mom passed away. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now. In the waiting, the same God who's never late is working all things out. He's working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. All my days, yes, I will. And then the chorus says, I choose to praise, to glorify, to glorify your name. The name of all names that nothing can stand against. And then the bridge says, oh, actually, that was a bridge. So I, I kept going. That is the truth. In the lowest valley, 
Whatever life throws at you, the, a sacrifice of praise costs you. But I'm telling you, as you praise, God turns it. He turns your situation. He turns your, your moments. He turns your heart. Ch praise transforms you. You can't tell me God doesn't know what he's doing. That was already put in. If you knew Pastor Ben, he had his stuff out like a month before like he, he just, he had it out. God knew. That's what I needed to hear that day. A sacrifice for praise costs you, but it works you. It changes you. And God will turn your situation around. God will turn your mourning to dancing. God will move in your finances. God will heal your body. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. The last thing I know, the, we're, we're at 11.30, guys. I told you. We're wrapping up a book in one go. One chapter. I've usually broke the chapters down. I, 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 give yourself a round of applause. Making it. Is this, is, this a, is this a hostage situation right now? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, you're free to go, but the doors are locked. So I'm joking. I'm joking. So the last thing he says is Hebrews... 1 through, or not 1 through 25, but 18 through 25. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear, and we want to live honorably in everything we do. And especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. Now may the God of peace who brought you up out of the dead, um, who brought you up from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ everything that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to pay attention to what I have written in this brief exhortation. I want you to know that our dear brother Timothy has been released from jail if he comes to you soon, I will bring him with me to, um, to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the believers there. The believers from Italy send you their greetings. May God's grace be with you all. This book concludes with an assignment to pray. This actually concludes with two things. To pray. We need to pray we need to pray for our church. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for boldness to share the gospel. We need to pray. We need to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. And then it says to allow, we, we need to allow him to equip us with everything we need to do his will. Well, let's define God's will. God's will is that none perish and all come to a place of repentance. And another place it says, God's will for you is this, to have joy in all circumstances, both of which you need the Holy Spirit. So how does he equip you to do his will? He sends the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need a move of the Holy Spirit, not just corporately. We need a move of the Holy Spirit individually. We need to be seeking a move of the Holy Spirit when we're praying. You know, I, I heard this week that Billy Graham's daughter asked him, 
towards the end of his life, were you ever afraid and insecure about your calling? He said, every day. You think Billy Graham, you know, he preached to millions of people, led hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord. Insecure, fought doubt, and his daughter asked him, how did you overcome it? He said, every morning I sat for an hour in my rocking chair. I prayed, Lord, use me, Holy Spirit, fill me. Lord, use me, Holy Spirit, fill me. Just prayed that. We want to walk out the will of God. I want us to walk out the will of God. Let's pray that. Lord, use me. Holy Spirit, fill me. He wants to produce in us every good thing that is pleasing to him through Jesus. Every good thing. How does he do that? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that produces in us. God accomplishes both of these through the person of the Holy Spirit. God's will is that none perish. God's will is that you have joy. God's will is that you live an honorable life. He equips us to exact his will on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit empowers us to pray prayers of faith that move mountains. His Holy Spirit empowers us to break chains in Jesus' name. His Holy Spirit empowers us to walk out God's will on earth with authority, power, signs, and wonders. It's the Holy Spirit. We need him. So how I want to close today is I, 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 I want to challenge us. Like Billy Graham, man, we all have doubts. You would think that he never, I wrestled so much with this message. My God, I can't say that. What if I offend people? And, he's, and then he would literally use my own words against me. He was like, didn't you just write, if you love people, you tell them the truth? Like, like, all right, God. So I found myself last night as I'm going through this, I say, Holy Spirit, use me. Holy Spirit, fill me. So as Pastor Andy comes up here, he's going to sing a song. And I just, I want us to have that same heart. I want you to pray that. It's not a simple, it's not a complicated prayer. It's not do this, do that, do this. It's Holy Spirit, use me. Holy Spirit, fill me. And if you want God to use you and fill you, then pray it. If you don't, keep your mouth shut. I'm serious. There's no sense in praying prayers that God that we think God wants to hear. He knows your heart. When we start praying things that he wants to hear that's not in our heart, guess what? That's called lip service. And he's not interested in that. Never has been, never will be. He wants what's in your heart. And I believe that this church wants God to use them and to fill them. I believe that. That means that there might be awkward situations in your future. That means that you might end up witnessing to your waiter or waitress. That means that you might end up praying with your neighbor. That means that you might buy someone's groceries. 
That means that you might get stopped in Walmart to pray for someone. That means, you know, like, that means if, if you pray this prayer and you mean it, the Lord is going to say, okay, I'm going to give you opportunities. I'm going to give you opportunities. That's how he works. He doesn't just say, boom, I'm going to use you. He's like, okay, see that person over there? Go pray with them. Or just go, go, go tell them an encouraging word. Or, hey, send a text message. As I was writing this last night, I mean, I always joke, but the Holy Spirit won't let me be a hypocrite because he makes me walk out what I'm preaching. Like, I'm, I'm sitting there wrestling with this, and all of a sudden, so randomly, a guy that I went to high school with in Arkansas, Western Grove, Arkansas, I have not spoke to this dude in 20 years. I haven't even thought about him in 20 years. This went through my head. Message him and tell him that you're praying for him. Because I just felt this compelled to pray for his, this, this guy that I went to high school with. I'm like, why am I thinking about this guy? And that's, that's the first thing that went through my head. Why am I thinking about him? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking through my message, praying for my message for C1 Church in Columbia, Tennessee, and a guy I haven't spoke to in 20 years keeps running through my head. His name keeps running through my head. And so I finally said, Lord, why am I thinking about him? And that's when he said, I want you to pray for him. So I stopped and prayed for him. And then uh, I, I spent some time praying for him. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what's going on in his life. I'm not friends with him on Facebook. I don't know anything about him. Like, Lord, if he doesn't know you, I pray that, that he comes in a relationship with you. And all this stuff. And he said, now I want you to tell him. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I'm going to try to find him on Facebook. I couldn't find him. Like he went from my, by a different name in high school. He went by a nickname, and that's why I knew him by and so I actually had to go on his brother's profile to look at his brother's friends to find this guy. And I sent him a message. And I just shared the gospel with him. Told him I'm praying for him. I haven't heard anything back, but that's okay. That's okay. That, the, the point isn't that. The point is the obedience. If you say, God, use me. God, fill me. Holy Spirit, use me. Holy Spirit, fill me. It's not about the results. It's about your obedience. If you're ready to, to start moving in a way that, that God's never moved in your life, let's go. I'm ready. Are you? I want God to use me in a way that he's never used me before. So what I'm going to do, if you want to worship, you can worship. You can offer a sacrifice of praise. You can stand and worship. I'm going to be down here to pray with you if you need prayer. But I really want you to spend some time right now praying. If you want God to use you, just say, make yourself available. Just make yourself available. Take one from Billy Graham. Holy Spirit, use me. Holy Spirit, fill me.